plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Hello, Power Partners, and welcome to our informational playground, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. It's brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and we're coming to you live on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We strive to seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations. So the only way to really be the star you are is to know yourself, and the only way to know yourself is to be yourself. So we hope that today you'll be listening with your heart because we have a very wonderful show with you today with a terrific guest. Dylan Lloyd will be joining us in segment two. He has over 500,000 month um, uh, downloads, it would be, on Spotify. He gets about 50,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. And he's both a singer and a songwriter. And you're going to get to hear two of his songs coming right up. But in segment three, the Authors Guild has recently released the Author Income Survey. And it revealed that writing-related incomes fell to historic lows with... Um, in this last last census that they did actually about authors and artists in 2017. So we're going to talk about that. But right now, the miracle moment for today. So it is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. If you are interested in sponsoring the Pear Festival or helping in any of our outreach programs, please visit us at bethestaryouare.org. This is by G.K. Chesterston. The real great man or woman is the man or woman who makes everyone else feel great. I totally agree with that, is that when we can we do our job and make sure that other people are feeling good about themselves, then we are actually being the stars that we were meant to be. And so that is really a, an important thing to always remember is it's easy to be negative and it's easy to say, you know, negative things about other people or other things. But when you can bring people up, now you're talking. Now that is the great way to be. Well, in this segment, I wanted to bring to you the information about author income, and then we're going to be talking about uh, hybrid publishing and what you need to know. So, first of all, self-publishing gives authors a lot more control over the publication of their books, but it comes with a lot more responsibility. And then... The Authors Guild, along with um, other author and, and uh, writer organizations, did an author income survey, and it revealed that writing-related incomes fell to historic lows, with a medium income in 2017 of $6,080, which was down 42% from the 2009 incomes that reported in the 2015 survey. So just in two years, it went down 42%. Now, earnings from book income alone fell even more. They declined another 21% to $3,100 in 2017 and from $3,900 in 2013, which is over 50% from what it was in 2009, and that medium book earnings was 6250 so it's very interesting because, you know, being an author is really, really hard work. You can, you can work on your book for 24-7 for two or more years, five years, seven years, and then just, just to get this kind of income, what it basically means is do not go into being a writer for the money. <laughs> you have to do it because you feel you have something to say. 
And I know that when we have Dylan Lloyd on in our next segment, he'll probably discuss the same thing that's going on for musicians. And I know it's happening with artists and it's also, uh, you know, with actors, et cetera. Of course, with acting, we do have uh, Screen Actors Guild and American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. But since technology and times are changing, we're constantly, constantly having to be ahead of the curve and renegotiate uh, contracts. So I want to just give you some background on this survey. The responses were from 5,667 traditionally published authors, as well as some self-published and some hybrid published authors, which we'll talk about hybrid publishing soon here. And it encompassed 14 different writing organizations. And it was an income survey of working writers. And this is the largest ever conducted in the United States. So it, it really establishes a benchmark for the future. And some of the takeaways from this was that the medium income for full-time authors for all writing-relating activities, for everything they do, which could be you know, that could be speaking, um, that could be teaching, doing online classes, seminars, whatever it was, was a whopping $20,000. And um, that was in 2017. And that was up uh, 3% from 2013. But it's considerably lower than the 25000 medium income that authors earned. And we're talking about full-time authors, you know, people that are doing this for, uh, for their writing career. And that was in 2009. They were earning 25000 So while 53% of the survey participants described writing as their primary profession, just 21% of full-time uh, published authors actually derived their annual income from book-related earnings. Now, literary writers experienced the biggest decline in earnings from book-related income, and that was down 27% from 2013. And um, this really raises some serious concerns for anything future in literature. Now, the ones that did the best were people who self-published. Self-published writers doubled their income from 2013, though overall, they still earn just 58% of what traditionally published authors earn, but still they were making more money than what traditionally published authors were were making. And self-published romance and romance suspense writers, they earned five times more than authors in the next highest earning self-published genre, which uh, is mysteries followed by thrillers. So, Romance writers, if you like to write romance, you can actually make $10,000. And $1,900 was going towards um, mysteries. So what are some of the causes? Well, the blockbuster mentality of traditional publishers, you know, which grants celebrity writers these huge advances and then markets them at the expense of the working writers, it really does play a role in the overall author income declining. But The lower royalties and advances for mid-list books, including extremely low royalties on an expanding realm of deeply discounted books and a 25% of net ebook royalties, are also contributing factors, and that's especially for literary writers. And many books are now available royalty-free in a lot of electronic uses, including on authorized classroom course packs, in Google Books, in Open Library, all of these are claiming fair use, and that erodes authors' incomes. Also, so many places want to have content for free. So instead of paying a writer to write something for a website or a blog or a newsletter, people are saying, oh, we'll give you a byline, or you can mention your book. And unfortunately, as As artists and writers, we have to stand up for that and say, no, I am worth more than a byline. I get a byline no matter what I do, and I get to to promote uh, who I am no matter what I do, so I am not going to work for free. And this really goes across the boards to all artistic endeavors. It, It is pretty sad. I mean, public opinion is playing a big role in this lowering of um, salary, which is putting writers and authors literally below the poverty level. And it's about making people realize how economics works so that they know what it is that they're paying for. 
and they can make, you know, good buying choices and that the same way that consumers make fair trade and ecological buying choices for food, we need to educate people to make fair trade buying choices for book. Now, right now, just one in five adults in the U.S. reads more than 12 books a year. So that is uh, that's not very many. And that we hope to capture, you know, more readers because there are more books out there. And statistics show that if we don't capture early readers between the ages of 5 to 12, then we lose them and we actually never get them back. Now, this was something that I really um, liked the most is Richard Nash, who was interviewed for an article for Authors Guild, expanded on what he was talking about on how um, the salaries have gone down for authors. And, you know, they're not getting any health care. They're not getting vacation time. They're not getting any perks. So uh, that's always tough. But here's what he said. He said that this has been going on for about 1,500 years. There's only been one time in human history when a writer was guaranteed to make a living before Gutenberg when the mere fact of being literate was so remarkable and scarce that you were actually guaranteed a roof over your head and food on your table simply because you could read and write. So it's been going downhill ever since. So uh, what is an author to do? Well, again, we have to keep expanding our reach and letting people know that they cannot have our content for free. And, you know, Amazon's market dominance as both publisher and seller puts pressure on all the other publishers to lower the book prices. And then there's increased competition from the Kindle Unlimited program and the massive number of books that are sold cheaply as new by Amazon resellers right alongside the publisher's copies. And um, so... There's just a lot of stuff that's going on. So we have to protect our authors' traditional income sources, and we have to advocate for some new business. And hopefully, we'll be able to have books and writers in the future. Because if we don't do something soon, people may decide that they don't want to do, don't want to be a writer at all, or they'll just do it as a hobby. The well, last thing I just wanted to leave you with is that um, the United Kingdom devotes 46 million pounds annually to support literature, and the country only has 60 million people. So that is a very big sum that a lot of English people consider miserly until they learn that the United States contributes only 1.5 million or so to support American authors and literature. And so, and you have a fraction of the standards. There's no free healthcare, like in the UK. And, you know, there's so many other things. So please think about that the next time you're trying to download something for free, whether it be music or art or uh, a book, or, or if you're asking for someone to write for you for free, everyone deserves to make a living. So when we come back from break, we're going to be talking to Dylan Lloyd, singer, songwriter. And first of all, you're going to get to hear one of his uh, new songs, and it's called If I Can't Have You. He also appeared on our uh, young adult program, Express Yourself. And people really, really loved him. He's a very soulful, authentic uh, musician as well as a creator. So you want to stay tuned for our next segment. So you're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. And hey, before we go to break, why don't you uh, go to my website, CynthiaBryan.com, and you can go to uh, find any of the eight books that I have written and purchase a book. Because uh, the money will go to charity, but hey, it it really will help (laughs) keep books alive. CynthiaBryan.com forward slash online hyphen store. I'll be right back with Dylan Lloyd, so please don't go away. (laughs) 
Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryant, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show well, it's show business, and uh, we're having a little bit of an issue reaching Dylan. So what we're going to do is I'm going to talk to you about the hybrid publishing, which fits right into what I was talking about in segment one with author uh, salary decline. And then hopefully Josh will be able to get uh, Dylan available here for us so that we can chat about his songs and his music. So what is it about hybrid publishing and have you heard about it and do you know what it is? It is really becoming the common thing for authors to ask themselves whether they'd be better off publishing a pay, you know, a book on their own or moving to self-publishing altogether or trying to take the years to get the a publishing contract. And I know this firsthand because I've had all of those things. I've had uh, regular traditional publishers. I have also uh, self-published one book, and then we've also done hybrid publishing. So there's a lot of different ways to go. So the inability to sell a book to a publisher, the bad contract terms, the disagreements with editors, the low royalties that are offered, the delays in receiving royalties, or the runaway successes of somebody else's, you know, self-published book. You heard about those where somebody writes something, they post it on Amazon, and next thing you know, they are a New York Times or a Wall Street Journal bestseller. Because of all of these reasons, self-publishing could really make a lot of sense. Now, of course, if you're going to do go that route, you still have to make sure you have a really professional book and hire people along the way. Because authors, after all, they have the exclusive rights to their work and the fruits of their labor, and why shouldn't they be the ones that are making the decisions about the life of their books instead of corporations? And the thing about rejections is this, is in order to get a traditional publisher, almost always, I would say 99%, first of all, you have to have an agent, a literary agent, and you might wait months or years to find that agent, and you might get a lot of rejections before you actually get an agent. And then that agent has to pitch your book to their, you know, their contacts and the people they think that would be interested in buying it. And again, you might wait months or years for that book to get picked up. And then when it does get picked up, you might wait more months and years for it to be published. And then finally, you got to share your income and you may have to chase past due royalty checks. I know that when I was writing uh, my book, Be the Star You Are, 99 Gifts for Living, Loving, Laughing and Learning to Make a Difference, I first, I was able to get an agent right away 
and um, and I got a fabulous editor, and I I got the book written, or uh, you know most of the book written, and then that first agent literally sat on it for two years. I mean, literally didn't do anything with it, and finally I realized that the agent wasn't doing anything, and I had to hunt for a different agent, and the second agent was able to find the publisher, and we signed a contract. But then it was still two more years after that. So from the time I started writing to the time that my book came out, I think it was six years. So you have to have a lot of patience to do that. That's a lot of patience. Now, self-publishing. Let's talk about self-publishing. Self-publishing gives authors far more control over the publication of the books. But as anybody who's ever self-published before knows, it comes with a lot more responsibility and a lot more work than traditional publishing. Uh, and the one that I can tell you about with that is when it came to the business of show business, I had published that on my own. And for, I think it was for 13 Yes, 13 of the editions I published on my own. But in order to do that, I had to find editors and cover designers and interior uh, book designers and page layouts and deal with the printers and figure out what kind of paper I wanted and, you know, how many pages it was going to be and exactly what the costs were going to be. And then how was I going to market it and how was I going to get to the uh, library? So I actually became a publisher. To do, to become self-published, I had to become a publisher. And it was really definitely a lot of work. So if writing a book can just take over your life, publishing it and getting it into the hands of readers doubles that. And it really doubles the drain on your financial and your personal resources because you are paying for everything up front. Now, yes, when the book sells, you get to keep that money, but that's when the book sells. And maybe we should add in parentheses, if the book sells. Self-publishing authors, they have to lay out the text, the images, hire copy editors, proofreaders, cover designers, and they got to do all these tasks themselves in order to get their manuscript ready for print. And then they have to uh, decide, are they going to create an ebook? Are they going to do a print on demand, which is called a POD? Are they going to have to make those kind of files? And then who's going to distribute the book? Who's going to warehouse the book? Authors also want to have a high-quality uh, printed book. And then, like I said, I had to find printers and distributors. And, of course, there's taxes <laughs> to pay. So once all that um, is accomplished, then as an author, you have to market the book yourself. You have to send out review copies. You have to manage all those email blasts, all those social media campaigns. And that's all before the book is even out. So this is a huge responsibility. And after publication, then comes that process of managing returns and keeping track of invoices. Now, that was something I never expected as a new author when I first started, you know, 18, 18, 19 years ago as an author is uh, returns. So what would happen would be, for I'll just use, for example, Barnes & Noble. They would want you to do book signings, and I would travel around the country doing book signings, and so they would order a lot of books. They might order 100 books or 200 books for the book signing, and maybe at the book signing, only 50 books sold or 75 books sold or something like that, which I'd be thrilled about, except there were extra books they would send back and then you got to pay the shipping back. And a lot of them would be damaged because people have been actually reading them in the bookstore and drinking coffee. So it was really, those returns were awful. I finally actually got to the point of saying no returns. But that does cut down on who's going to take your book. Because bookstores want to order books in quantity. And then they want to ship them back. So then there's authors who only publish ebooks. Now they can avoid some of the tasks that I just told you. But creating an ebook can create your own uh, challenge because there are, uh, you might have to wait six months, you know, or, or so to, to get it formatted. Maybe the device compatibility isn't right. And when somebody goes to read it, it's not going to look right. And then there's all that policing for piracy. 
So it's no wonder that authors are just overwhelmed and they very often will choose to sign a traditional publishing contract so that they don't have to become a publisher themselves. But here's the good news because authors today have a middle road and it's called hybrid publishing. And the Authors Guild just came out with this whole breakdown of what hybrid uh, publishing is and made a clearly defined you know, editorial mission uh, for s- submissions and a vetting process. And um, even despite the skepticism from you know, the publishing world, the number of hybrid publishers is growing because there's a demand from authors that traditional publishers are just unable to meet. And these new author-subsidized publishing models, these aren't vanity presses. Like in the past, there were vanity presses. Well, there's still vanity presses out there. But what vanity presses were is um, somebody would either, they would contact you or you contact them. And they they didn't care who you were or if you could even write. And they would charge you X amount of dollars. And it was usually quite high. They would, you'd send them your manuscript. They would print it, make a cover, and that was kind of the end of it. They may promise you the moon, but they didn't deliver. I actually had somebody many, many years ago who obviously used a vanity press. And when I got the review copy in the mail to read in preparation to give this person a radio interview, I realized that either she was trying to pull a hoax on me or there was some mental illness going on because the book made no sense it was complete gibberish I mean complete gibberish it was as if you know she just sat at a typewriter and just typed out whatever was there I mean there wasn't even a word that was spelled correctly or a sentence that made sense but yet this vanity publishing house had published that book Um, you know in hindsight it seems comical but the reality was I was really saddened by it So what these hybrid are is they are an author-subsidized publishing model, and it allows authors to have a better, you know, a bigger or greater say in the editorial and the publishing decisions, and they offer high royalty rates. And so what they're doing is they're occupying that space between pure self-publishing and traditional publishing. And unlike... Uh, traditional publishers, they do not pay advances and they require the author to pay part. And it's usually almost half of the upfront cost. But I want to talk about advances. It is so rare to get an advance. When I first started writing, my contracts gave me an advance for my books. Now there's no advance. I think you have to be a Stephen King or J.K. Rowling. You have to be somebody really big or you know, somebody that is uh, like somebody who is a celebrity or a politician, you have to be an Obama and you're going to get then you're going to get the big ones or a Clinton, something like that. So this uh, hybrid publishing, the model is more of a partnership where both parties share the costs and the profits equally. And then such publishing arrangements, they really are an attractive alternative for authors who are juggling writing with, say, a day job, or who don't have time to devote to all those other tasks that I told you about. Now, many hybrid publishers are relatively new to the market, and there are reports that there are some bad ones out there that are out there going to take advantage of authors, and that's, you know, that's part of the game. There's always going to be somebody who's going to try to take advantage, but there are also really trustworthy hybrid publishers who are offering great support. Now, uh, I'm a member of the Independent Book Publishers Association, And with input from the Authors Guild, they issued that set of criteria for hybrid publishing, which is the first of its kind in the industry, and that they were developed with the goal of harmonizing and setting concrete standards for publishing's newest sector, which is hybrid publishing. And so that can inspire some confidence among all of us, especially authors who are interested in getting their books out there, but they might be deterred by the uncertainty and the risk. So the criteria serve to draw some clear distinctions between hybrid publishing and the various authors subsidized publishing that I was talking about earlier called vanity publishing, which allowed anybody to publish anything as long as they paid for it. So one of the uh, criteria is 
that there have to be a clearly defined editorial mission of the of the publisher. The hybrid publisher must publish under their own imprints and assign their own ISBNs. And by aligning hybrid publishing practices with traditional publishing, the risk to authors will be reduced and the quality of books published will be improved because, you know, we want to keep the quality of books uh, high so that people are going to buy books and enjoy them. So the first thing to request from a hybrid publisher if you're going to do this is a list of all their services they provide and the cost of each to you. And sometimes they're going to tell you that cost will depend on the length of the book, the number of images, the kind of paper, etc. And you just want to get as close as possible to an estimate that they can provide and a list of every cost you're going to be responsible for. And then once you have a clear understanding of the costs, ask for the contract. Now, uh, if you're a member of Authors Guild, as I am, they have a legal department, and they'll actually look over the contract for you. And they, Authors Guild's also created a checklist, which they share with members uh, during their negotiations with hybrid publishers. So they'll, Authors Guild will help you negotiate. So that is very, very good to do. So um, there are a few red flags, and I'll just quickly say those so that we can go to our next segment. And that is a perpetual or lifetime grant of copyright or termination clause that makes it difficult for authors to end the contract and get their rights back. We don't want that. Hybrid publishing agreements should have a fixed term with an option to extend, and they should never be perpetual. And then overreaching by asking for the right to exploit the work in other formats, especially in high-value media such as film and television, multimedia, character world or merchandising, series writers should be especially cautious of any terms that allow the publisher to create derivative content because that could be a way for a predatory publisher to capture rights in characters or setting and exploit them without any restrictions. And also, you should always retain the audiobook rights unless you believe the publisher is going to be your best bet for exploiting them because audiobooks are really, really big right now. And in fact, the biggest uh, sales uh, in this year have been in audiobooks. Another thing to watch out for is unclear payment terms and hidden service charges. Hybrid publishing contracts should clearly define uh, the service charges are and any deductions with, from royalty income. And authors should keep in mind that net proceeds from a book commonly means sales, income, less taxes, and discounts. So you have to make sure the definition of net proceeds is understood and then watch out for any definitions that could include any additional deductions. Um, Those additional deductions could actually be like commissions or credit card transaction fees, and those are always really, um, really bad. So a royalty share of net proceeds lower than 50%. In general, the more responsibility the publisher takes for marketing the book, the lower the royalty becomes. So you should still try to keep your share of the net proceeds 50% or higher. And if the publisher has promised to do marketing and you have agreed to do upfront costs or a lower royalty on the back end as compensation, you have to make sure that the contract includes a detailed list. So everything is, uh, you really want to get what you are promised. So the uh, author's dilemmas about whether to take hybrid publishing neither begins or ends with the contract. But if it sounds good to you, do some research on it. Check out the Authors Guild and also Independent Book Publishers Association, and I think you'll get some good information. Uh, We are going to take a break. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and I will be back shortly. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Have you ever wondered how so many successful sports stars achieve their status? Many attest to the power of visualization. Mental imagery uses the unconscious mind to help you succeed in your endeavors. 
Here's how to tap into your own visualization method. Sit in a place where you can relax and be quiet and contemplative. Breathe deeply. Use diaphragmatic breath. Examine your upcoming situation and imagine it and see yourself being calm, confident, and energized. Walk yourself through the meeting, the game, the negotiation, or whatever the challenge. Rehearse a winning performance and visualize yourself succeeding in every way. Notice everyone around you, including the sounds, the sights, the smells, the environment. Practice this visualization repeatedly until you feel you've accomplished your goal. And then you are ready for the real event. Enjoy the proceedings. Have a good time. You've done it. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out. Well, thanks for staying with me here on Star Style. Be the star you are. We are back. And uh, unfortunately, we have not been able to reach um, Dylan Lloyd, and he was all ready for this. But hopefully, um, hopefully, you got to listen to uh, to one of his songs at least. So, in this segment, I decided I'm going to flip a negative into a positive because every time somebody is uh, a no show. Then, uh, then I'm. <laughs> I, it's very, it's very frustrating. So, um, the looking on the bright side, it doesn't always come naturally. But you know, you can train your mind to seek it out, and that will help your health a lot. And that's what I try to do: is I try to seek out whatever is positive. So, no doubt you've heard it before that you know, you turn that smile that uh, frown upside down and make a smile, smile or you, and you'll feel better. And you know what? I agree. I think that when I smile, I always feel better. So I have to stop focusing on how stressed that, um, that will get over something like a no-show of a guest, <laughs> which it is very stressful. And I have to think about how blessed we are that we get so many wonderful guests on the show and, and having somebody that has forgotten or hasn't shown up is really pretty rare. So these little positive thinking prods might be enough to make you, you know, be upset. But look, nobody wants to uh, be told to smile. Um, So I'm not going to tell you to smile, but I am going to encourage you to attempt to think on the positive side because positivity has benefits that extend far beyond anything that can really happen to you. And even if you were born the polar opposite of uh, being a positive person, your outlook may be, in fact, influenced by your genes. Don't forget that. That genes sometimes have something to do with it. You can make positivity work for you. So what is it exactly? Positive thinking is all about having an open, optimistic viewpoint. It's the idea of seeing the silver lining on a bad day. 
And it doesn't mean that you're going to sweep all your actual thoughts under the rug to make room for unicorns and rainbows. I mean, you can do that if you want. But instead, it's really about viewing situations from a more well-rounded perspective. For example, when you're stressed out over your workload, take a few deep breaths and consider what you've already accomplished. Tell yourself, oh, I'll get that job or I'll get it done in the best way I can. Or start small. Just take a little one step at a time. So shifting your mindset can make you feel so much better and it can also lead to real health benefits. Research shows that positive thinking is an incredibly important and um, important and effective way to improve your mood, your physical health, your energy level, your concentration, your productivity, and more. People who are positive have been found to be better at problem solving and dealing with setbacks, and they're more resilient. And positive thinking can also open up your creativity. And so that's a big thing uh, for most people is if you really want to be, um, if you want to be a a creative, you help you connect with better, with other people to connect better, you know, just on a relationship and boost your overall well-being. So here experts share a few simple ways to start seeing things in a sunnier light. You can't just pick up a violin and play. Remember you know, Brigitte Gia, who is um, quite an accomplished uh, violinist, as well as uh, a couple of our other volunteers at Be The Star You Are have competed in all of these national and international competitions. And what they say is it's practice, 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 practice. And even then, you it, it's, if it's not, um, if you're not practicing enough and correctly, then it's not even going to work. So anyway, we have to just, uh, again, try to be as positive as possible and do the right thing. And then things tend to work out a little bit, uh, a little bit better. Uh, and, And another flip side of that is you can't just wake up and decide you're going to be positive. Despite what I'm saying to you, you need to practice summoning those feelings and then rehearsing them. So there have been MRI scans of brains who'd been practicing compassion meditation, for example, for two weeks. And for uh, two weeks, like 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day, let's say, for two weeks. And what was interesting is they noticed stronger connections in a key brain circuit that regulates the positive emotions. So even short bursts done regularly like appreciating a beautiful view or a lovely piece of art or like I'm always talking about nature. I just really appreciate nature all the time. (laughs) That can really help you to be more positive because what you're doing is you're retraining your mind to notice all the beautiful stuff, the good stuff, the, the things that are happy and positive that are happening around you. So instead of saying, When somebody says to you, how are you doing? Instead of saying, not that bad, say, I'm doing well, or today's a good day. So again, it's all about reframing. Here are some other positivity boosting tactics. How about listing the things you're grateful for at the end of each day? You could make a grateful journal because, I mean, you know, I'm just happy for my pillow and a shower after I've worked hard. I mean, it's so great. Or to have food on the table. Or engage in simple um, exercises, because when you exercise, it does make you feel better. You might envision a crowd of people and acknowledge that we all share the same wish to be happy, to have peace, to not to suffer, and then extend those wishes to other people. And then spread some kindness. You know, one of our volunteers, uh, Karen Kitchell, who uh, writes a, a short article in our newsletter every month. She has a website now called Scattering uh, Kindness. And I just, I think that is just so important to do. So one of the most powerful strategies to promote your own positivity is to be generous towards other people. Hold that elevator door for somebody. Send a handwritten note. Compliment somebody. 
pay for the person in line, you know, when you buy a cup of coffee or if you're at the toll booth, maybe pay for somebody behind you. There was a study in 2016 that found that performing acts of kindness, no matter how small, was more effective at boosting happiness than simply treating yourself to something. So instead of booking a spa day for yourself, maybe come and volunteer with Be The Star You Are. Make a donation, or better yet, do both. Because the more we are helpful to others, the better we're going to feel about ourselves. And rather than waiting for good or positivity to come to you or something like that to happen for you, make it happen for somebody else. And then you're going to get to enjoy the ripple effect. And that's what unfurls as a result. And always remember to take care of yourself. Just always ask yourself when you're saying something to yourself, because so often we are very critical of ourselves. Would you treat a friend that way and treat yourself with kindness? Well, thank you for staying with me today. I'm sorry that we didn't have our guest on the show But if you're interested in hearing an interview with Dylan Lloyd, I encourage you to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com or go to the Voice America Empowerment Channel and look for Express Yourself, and you will find Dylan's interview um, there, and you can listen to it, uh, and you can also hear some of his music. For more information about Cynthia Bryan, myself, or Star Style Productions, visit CynthiaBryan.com. You can find my books there, and the money will go to Be The Star You Are. You can also find them at BeTheStarYouAre.org. And my aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. So cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. And really do try to read a book. We want more people to read more than 12 books in a year. And that would be a good thing. And if you are an author, don't forget, or you're a writer that's considering writing a book, that there is something called hybrid publishing out there where you will share expenses and their revenues with the publisher. And that might be a really great way to go because you'll be able to get your book out there probably within a couple of years as opposed to five or six. So again, until we celebrate next week, Remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You've been listening to Star Style, and we're coming to you live every Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. on the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. So go out into the world and be the star you are. Be authentic, be yourself, be a star. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are, be the star you are, you are the star. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. Harder to know I want you to be me I 
Over this, if I can't have you, then 